Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring TMA with Nick Hamilton, Extra Dose. It's time for TMA Extra Dose. You can follow along on Twitter, at Slam Radio XM. Now, TMA Extra Dose with Nick Hamilton, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of TMA Extra Dose with Nick Hamilton here on Sirius XM Slam Radio 145. Hope everybody had a great weekend and a great start to the week. I'm back once again. The key card is still working, and we had a jam-packed weekend of sports, especially in L.A., especially in the world of baseball. We'll get into that. Uh, make sure you hit me up on all things social media, at Nick Hamilton LA. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be on this planet. The Los Angeles Dodgers are definitely back in the World Series once again to take on the Tampa Bay Rays after a grueling seven-game series uh, against the Atlanta Braves. Game seven, they won on Sunday night for four to three uh thanks to some clutch hitting by cody bellinger another bellinger bomb we like to call it here in la as well as will smith contributed um you know kike hernandez contributed coming in there were a lot of different factors obviously mookie Betts, his defense was hands down off the hook outstanding as we as we expected it to be uh, when his bat wasn't awake, he made sure he he made up for it with his defense. He made some spectacular catches in the series. Uh, so to me, who had the worst blown opportunity when it comes to a series from a sports franchise? Now, we know the Atlanta Braves, who were not favored, uh, did have a 3-1 lead in the NLCS. The Dodgers shared some text messages. I don't know what they said in those text messages, but obviously it got them back into the groove and back into the mix and got their minds right. And they became they had they started to have that Mamba mentality, uh, as we heard from Mookie Betts and several other uh, Dodger stars throughout the week, as it pertained uh, to getting back in this series and making sure they get to the World Series because the Dodgers were favored. I had the Dodgers in six. But I was skeptical of the Dodgers because when you start losing games and close games, especially when your bullpen is not doing what it's supposed to do and holding up its end of the bargain after the starters were able to do that, that's been their Achilles heel. So once the bullpen got their heads out of their behinds and started to focus in and dial in on what was at stake and knowing that they would be quickly sent home if they did not win every single game. And the people that don't understand, when you have – your backup is up against the wall and you're down 3-1 and you have to win every single game, that's an enormous amount of pressure uh, to be on when it comes to making sure you win the series that you're supposed to win. So to me, I think the Dodgers made sure they handled their business. Uh, Cody Bellin, excuse me, Corey Seager, rather, uh, was the MVP who knocked in a couple of home runs throughout this series. Uh, well-deserving, but I thought the defensive player of this series went to no other person than Mookie Betts. So now the Dodgers face the Tampa Bay Rays. Tonight, Clayton Kershaw will fire it off for game one. He seems to be healthy and ready to go. Uh, You know, he had been battling some back spasm issues in the previous series in the NLCS, so he should be healthy and ready to go, which I'm so glad uh, they did not use Clayton Kershaw on Sunday. I'm glad they were able to to use the bullpen the way that they need to use it. And to me, my hat's off to Dave Roberts for getting away from the cybermetrics. This is what a Dodger team looks like without stat nerds interfering with what's going on. You let you let the eye test and the gut test guide you to a victory. And that's exactly what Dave Roberts did. And I'm so proud of Dave Roberts for allowing himself to really manage because Dave Roberts really managed game seven, especially in the latter part of the the game from game, excuse me, from fifth inning on to the end. You saw Dave Roberts really managing that team. And that's why I say Dave Roberts is an incredible baseball mind. Dave Roberts knows how to manage. He doesn't need cybermetrics or a boatload of cybermetrics to manage this team. He doesn't need it at all. So to me, I think they should continue to to have a balance. And this was the first time that I've seen the Dodgers have had a a healthy balance of the cybermetrics along with the physicalities of baseball, meaning the eye test, the gut test. What are you seeing 
personally, what is your experience teaching you about how to move players in and out? This is why we saw Kike Hernandez come in and pinch hit at a particular point in time. We probably wouldn't have seen if they would have le- left it up to cybermetrics. So I'm glad that the Dodgers as an organization are finally figuring out how to be balanced enough to get the job done. And it worked in their favor. Um, in the World Series, I'm going to pick the Dodgers in six. Uh, I think the Dodgers have an overall better team. But, you know, who knows? Um, but to me, the Braves, my God, they blew a 3-1 lead. And as I, I'm going to answer the question I put out earlier, which sports franchise had the worst opportunity or, or tricked off an opportunity to win a series? I still have to go. I still have to go uh with the los angeles clippers because the los angeles clippers were favored in that series against the denver nuggets to get to the western conference finals and they absolutely tricked it off they had they had a 3-1 lead one game and they tricked it off now the braves are the braves period point blank we've known they've been known to trick off leads you know as as a lot of people say a lot of people are still on that narcotic when it comes to being Braves fans, that's why Braves fans are probably sick this week and going to be sick for a long time because, or they should just be accustomed to losing because that's exactly what the Braves have done in broken hearts over the course of decades. So I'm not really surprised. Uh, but it is tragic when you blow a, any kind of lead like that when it's 3-1 in the best of seven series. That's absolutely horrific. So Again, I'm going to have to lean more towards the Los Angeles Clippers in the year 2020 for blowing a lead over the Atlanta Braves only because only because rather the Clippers were favored to win. The Braves were not favored to win. They had opportunities to win, but they weren't favored. The Dodgers were the favorites to win the series. And so they did. Game one uh, will be at, I believe, 5 p.m. Pacific time on Fox. Uh, Clayton Kershaw takes on the Tampa Bay Rays. So let's see what the Dodgers have left. The job is not done. We've heard from Dave Roberts. We've heard from Mookie Betts. We heard from from Kike Hernandez. They kept saying everybody in that clubhouse is saying the job is not done. And it's not. It's great they got back to the World Series, but we've seen this episode time and time again. So what's the big deal? You got to win the chip. And with the Lakers winning the chip, and bringing a championship back to Los Angeles after 10 years. Uh, L.A. wants to party like it's 1988. 1988 was the last time the Dodgers won a World Series championship. So they are long overdue. So let's see what happens. Again, I got the Dodgers in six. And we'll find out in the next coming weeks if the Dodgers will be successful and have a balance of cybermetrics as well as the eye and gut test. And now joining me on the program, I have a guest. He is a reporter. He covers the Dodgers through and through. He is definitely true blue. He is a Dodger reporter and a Los Angeles-based reporter for NBC4 and NBCLA.com. Gives gives a great account of the Los Angeles Dodgers on their journey to winning their first championship since 1988. The one and only Michael Duarte. What's going on, Michael? How you doing, man? Hey, Nick. How are you? I am doing well. I am. The roof is closed here at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. So I'm warm. I'm toasty. It's good. I like it. Yeah, man. I mean, I saw they had the roof open on Sunday night uh, for game seven, which was absolutely spectacular. I mean, I know a lot of Dodger fans out there were nervous. They were biting their nails. They were getting there to take some Pepto-Bismol. They had a lot of gas. Uh, just out of just nerves because they were unsure if the Dodgers were going to you know, be able to close it out. But uh, when you look at uh, game seven, what was your take? What were some of your uh, takeaways from game seven as it pertained to the Dodgers? And were you nervous uh, that the Dodgers may not make it to the World Series? Yeah, great question. First and foremost, Nick, I am a L.A. resident, born and raised. Um, been a Dodger fan since I was in diapers, since I came out of the womb, got pictures of me all bloody and then my umbilical cord still connected, but I got a Dodger jersey and a Dodger hat on. So, you know, I'm a fan first and foremost, uh, a sports journalist second. So, you know, I'm, I'm emotionally invested as well. And I have to do my best to contain that and restrain myself from any sort of cheering. It's all internalized. I will say this though, Nick, and I'm, I'm sure Dodger fans, it was the opposite for them. 
I was more nervous and had more anxiety for them in game six mm-hmm. when they took an early 3-0 lead and then load the bases in the second inning with no out. More nervous energy that they were going to blow that lead and potentially lose the game as the game went longer and deeper than I was in game seven when right off the bat within the first inning or two, they're down two nothing. And now it's like, well, okay, if they come back, they come back. And if they don't, it's over and it's out of my control. Um, So I would say I had much more nervous energy and anxiety in game six, thinking if they could hold the lead than I did them coming back for the lead. It was more like shock, surprise, and excitement that they came back and relief um, than anxiety. But I will say, I think I had some nervous energy because I think I was tweeting a lot more last night than I normally do. That could just be because of game seven and how everything hinges on these micro decisions. And I'm with my binoculars spying into the Dodgers bullpen, seeing where Clayton Kershaw is and what he's doing at all times. And so I was able to occupy some of that nervous energy through Twitter, uh, reporting what's going on here in Arlington to all the fans at home. Now, I spoke about this earlier on the show, and I said I really gave a lot of praise and credit to Dave Roberts. And I said this because for the first time that I've noticed and I've seen, especially in a tight Game 7 situation, the cybermetrics were actually balanced. Dave Roberts actually gave away to the gut test and the eye test. He allowed himself to really manage it and use his baseball IQ to really bring guys in that normally cybermetrics would have usurped and said, no, according to the numbers, we're going to do this. How surprised were you when you saw Dave Roberts and, and the Dodgers organization actually balance out uh, those two in order to, to uh, bring a W in, in game seven? Yeah. Hold on, Nick. They're doing a, a mic check here. I just want to make sure you don't have any feedback in the background. See, this is what happens when you do it when you're doing live radio, folks. Exactly. <laughs> well, I hope, we're, I hope we're okay. I'll go ahead and answer your question. First and foremost, Nick, you know, it is just the nature of sports in general. Managers, the decision makers on these uh, these sports teams, uh, they get they, they they don't get a whole lot of credit when things go their way and things go right. We don't necessarily call them geniuses when those moments happen. We we give the credit to the players. We thank Cody Bellinger and Enrique Hernandez and you know all the the pitchers and players that combined to get that win for the Dodgers. But when things go wrong and they don't win, we definitely point the finger at the managers and they get all of the blame and the grunt of it, and sometimes rightfully so. In the case of Dave Roberts last night, you know, he, he, he did some questionable things, in my opinion, that I may have not done the same, and it worked out for him. And I will say this. We can look at the numbers and the saber metrics and stuff, but I will agree with you. You hit the nail on the head, Nick. It was much more of a feel thing for Dave Roberts when normally he would go to the numbers or he would go to situations that call for this and this. It seemed like he had more of a feel for the game last night. And I'll give you a few examples of that. He had said before the game that he did not want to use Blake Trinan. Blake Trinan had pitched two scoreless innings in game five. I think he gave up a run in game six, but pitched an inning in game six. And he comes in uh, in game seven earlier than he thought. I believe in the third inning, he comes into this game in a crucial, crucial situation. Uh, Tony Gonsolin has, has given up a home run. Now he's got... And the next inning, he comes up, he walks the first two batters he faces. And after a wild pitch by, by trying, you got second and third and uh, no outs, I believe. And he comes into the game, must be exhausted, pitching three consecutive days, multiple, multiple innings. And he has to come in this huge situation where the Braves can blow the game open with one swing. And he, he, he's a sinker ball pitcher. He's a low ground ball pitcher. He gets a ground out, hard hit, 90-something miles per hour off the bat to Justin Turner at third, who wasn't playing in. He smartly goes home, and they get Dansby Swanson in a rundown. What we didn't know was that Justin Turner would make a diving tag on Dansby and have the wherewithal to turn around and throw back to third and get Austin Riley, who was trying to advance to third, who was tagged out by Corey Seager to get a double play that honestly saved the Dodgers' bacon. That's nothing that we can credit Dave Roberts for, but he got lucky with that. He lets Trinan go back out for the fourth mm-hmm. inning or the fifth inning. I'm not sure which at this point. And I think it was the fourth. And Freddie Freeman is about to hit a solo home run to give the Braves a 4-2 lead. And there he is again, the, rainy, the, the, the 2018 MVP, one of the best players in all of baseball, making a web gem 
spectacular defensive play for the third game in a row, robbing a home run from Freddie Freeman. Again, had that ball gone out, we'd be criticizing Dave Roberts for bringing in Trinan as exhausted and gassed as he was. As it mm-hmm. turns out, Mookie Bet saves his bacon there. So he got lucky with those kind of moves. But now let's go to the moves where he did make the right call and he deserves all the credit for that. First and foremost, he could have brought in Kike Hernandez to pinch hit in the fifth inning when the Braves went to left-hander Tyler Matthews. If I'm managing, I probably go to left-hander. I probably go to Kike right there because to me, Matic's easier to hit than AJ Minter, who's been lights out this entire season. In fact, he'd only given up one home run the regular season, gave up one home run to Corey Seager in the series. Outside of that, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but Dave holds Kike Hernandez. He puts that ace in his back pocket and waits to play it. And then in the the, the, the sixth inning, I believe. That's when Minter comes in, and that's when he goes to Kike, and Kike delivers for him as he's done in so many NLCS moments, uh, even going back to 2017, his three-home run game that sent the Dodgers to the World Series. And then finally, to me, the biggest and best move that Dave Roberts made last night. It's a ninth inning. It's a four-to-three game. It's a one-run game. In any other past playoff, who is he putting into the game, Nick? To close that game. Normally he's gonna put he's gonna put Kenley Jansen in there. Exactly. Every other year he puts Kenley. Not necessarily because he thinks Kenley can get the job or Kenley's looking sharp or whatever, simply because Kenley's the closer, it's the ninth inning, it's a safe situation. Doesn't matter how many days in a row he's pitched, you go to Kenley. Oftentimes he's even gone to Kershaw. Kershaw was in that bullpen stretching, getting loose, right. you know, warming up, doing things. He could have come in if Dave had made that call to put Kershaw in, in that safe situation. Instead, he went with the feel. He went with his eyes. Julio Arias had been unhittable, six straight batters facing the minimum over two innings, and he's like, I'm going back to the guy who got us in this position, who's on fire. I'm going to ride the hot hand, and that was the right move, and it paid off. Now, had Arias gone out there and blown it and they lost, we all would have criticized him. But to me, in the moment, that was the right move, and I can't tell you, Nick, in the past, handful of World Series we've seen going back to 2016 with the Cubs and the Indians and the use of Araldus Chapman all the time, pitching two innings of relief and things. Mm-hmm. The managers that we've seen that win the World Series that end up holding that commissioner's trophy at the end of the year are the ones that, that know to ride the hot hand to bring into the promised land. We saw it with the Giants and Madison Bumgarner in the, in the 2010 eras. Mm-hmm. We, saw it, we saw it with Chapman, as I mentioned. We saw it last year with the Nationals and how they used Scherzer in Strasburg and brought him in out of the pen and whatever they needed. Right. Whoever's the hottest guy, the best guy, that's the guy you go with, and it worked out for them. You're listening to TMA Extra Dose with Nick Hamilton here on Sirius XM, Slam Radio 145. Now, I got two quick questions for you before we let you go. One question, tell me a little bit about what was what, it, what was in the water when it came to Corey Seager as well as Mookie Betts. We saw Mookie's defense, which was spectacular. We know Corey Seager hit, knocked out a, a plethora of home runs. He was the NLCS MVP. Uh, what are those two individuals going to have to do in the World Series to help their team elevate and raise that trophy once again? Yeah, absolutely. Now, we know Milk is not in the water for Corey Seager, at least for those fans that don't know that are listening to this show. Corey Seager has been on a no-dairy diet uh, since 2018. I asked him about it frequently just to make sure he, he hasn't switched his ways. But he's been on this no-dairy diet, uh, initially began by Chase Utley, former Dodgers veteran second baseman who retired. Uh, he's been the catalyst for the no-dairy diet for many players on this team. Now, Seager first did it, and I'm not sure. Now, From what I've been told by friends of Seager, roommates of Seager, people who live with Seager, before he went on the no-dairy diet, he was an ice cream, pizza, you know, dairy guy so he had to change his diet drastically to go to no dairy and i think it took some time to acclimate because he definitely seemed thinner uh and maybe a little bit less strong in 2019 a lot he led the team in doubles in 2019 uh but didn't have as many home runs as he had in his 2016 rookie campaign or even in 2017 when he had a great year so to me i think it took a year to figure out that diet gain the strength of the muscle mass back and now you're seeing those balls that used to go in the gaps for doubles or bounce off the wall, actually go over mm-hmm. the wall. And yeah. 
it wasn't anything special they drank for the NLCS with Mookie or Corey. They've been doing this all season, Nick, as you know. These guys have been yeah. the most consistent. So what the Dodgers need from them is to remain consistent in the World Series, continue just to do what they do. Now, to say one more thing about Mookie Betts, Mookie Betts struggled offensively at the plate this series. He didn't have the home runs that we would expect to see from, a, from an MVP. He didn't get on base the way we would expect to see a leadoff guy. He didn't have five, six steals in the series like you would expect from a guy with his speed. But kind of like LeBron James back in game two of the Western Conference Finals with the Lakers, he didn't have it in the second half, and he knew it. He was shooting poorly. Anthony Davis had it. So what LeBron did is say, what can I do since my shot's not falling to make an impact on this game? So LeBron rebounded, and he assisted, and he played defense, and he did things that he can control. So in the same extent, this is what the greats do, Nick. When something's not going their way, they find another way to impact the game. And for Mookie Betts, when the bat wasn't rolling, he impacted the game with his defense, with his athleticism, and that turned out to be the difference. Honestly, take the home runs and all the offense and the pitching away. Obviously, you need that. But those three catches in each of those three games were momentum changers, series changers, and ultimately the reason why the Dodgers will be playing on Tuesday for another World Series. Absolutely. I, oh, well, as long as Mookie continues to drink his body armor, I think he'll be just fine. Uh, we got about 60 seconds left. Tonight is game one. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is on the mound against the Tampa Bay Rays. Who do you have in this series by how many games? And uh, what do you see from Kurt, coming from Kershaw now that he seems to be a lot healthier than he was in the previous series dealing with the back issues? Yeah, it's so tough, Nick. Uh, he's out here playing long toss today, stretching. He looked pretty good. He was stretching and doing calisthenics and warm-ups last night. So I expect Kershaw to be healthy and to see the normal Kershaw we've seen for most of the season. And I expect him to do pretty good against the Tampa Bay Rays, who haven't seen him in a while. Uh, I'm not sure the last time he pitched against them, but definitely it wasn't in 2020. So um, he should be good to go. They're going up against Tyler Glass now, who's a very good arm. But I think they've seen a little bit of Tyler Glass now over the years unlike some of the Braves rookies they didn't see in the, in the series before in this NLCS. But I will say this, the two best teams are playing for the World Series, the team with the best record in the American League, the team with the best record in the National League. And honestly, I feel like that's what it should be. Two powerhouses, two heavyweights, they're going to go toe-to-toe, blow-to-blow. I give the advantage in frontline starting pitching to the Tampa Bay Rays. They got mm-hmm. three frontline starters in Glasnow, Blake Snell, a former Cy Young winner, and Charlie Morton, who, as we know, dominated the Dodgers in the 2017 World Series when he was with the Astros, and he dominated Game 7 against the Astros just a few days ago in San Diego at Petco Park. So I give the nod to the starting pitching, uh, especially the front of the, 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 the rotation to the Rays. I give the deeper rotation to the Dodgers. I think the bullpens are about the same. They're both very strong, but I give the offensive edge to the Dodgers for sure. And so it would just be, can the Rays score enough runs to compete with these Dodgers and it's going to rely heavily on those starting pitchers. Um, I don't really have a prediction for you. I guess I think it goes seven. And I would say, mm. you know, maybe this is the Dodgers year. Like Dave Roberts said last night, this is our year. Hopefully it is. Yeah, he did say that Sunday night, brother. So, I mean, I agree with you. I, I had the Dodgers in six, so we'll find out. Uh, it's going to be a great series nonetheless. Thank you so much for coming on board. We really appreciate it, especially you giving us the the uh, Globe Life Park experience there at the World Series, getting ready for game one. Please let everybody know where they can continue to follow you and keep up with you on social media. Absolutely. I know I'm going to play spoiler throughout the World Series because uh, there's probably a delay on everyone's televisions. But go follow me anyway on Twitter at Michael J. Duarte, like my, my full name. Uh, there you will see all updates of the game. But more importantly, the things that you guys can't see on television. What's going on in the bullpen? What's going on in the dugout? Um, you know, injuries who's warming up, what moves they look like they're making, all of that I'll be able to bring to you live from Globe Life Field, and you'll be able to catch that, and then read my recap and my stories and all the stuff that will be going on throughout the series on NBCLosAngeles.com. I promise you won't be disappointed. All right. Well, thank you so much. The one and only Michael Duarte from NBCLA.com as well as NBC4 in Los Angeles. And he's also the 2019 sports – what are you, the sports – media person of the year i am the 2019 southern california sports journalist of the year um, from the southern <laughs> california journalism award so yes quite the honor thank you for for bringing that up i will pat no my doubt. own back but thank you i appreciate that Absolutely, i'm not just man. the guy that, uh, that that brings up the pants 
right? right? You're not you're not just the web guy. We get it. I'm not just the web guy. I'm not just the guy that brings <laughs> up the plant, right? Hey, man. Well, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the World Series, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. Thanks. Appreciate it, Nick. Have a great show. Hey, thanks a lot, man. And coming up on the other side of the break, we definitely have another great uh, interview piece. Uh, a, a great member who has a lot of heart for the communities around Los Angeles and Southern California from the Los Angeles Rams organization. We'll get into her story and what she has up her sleeve as far as bettering the neighborhoods and communities around Los Angeles and hopefully around the country. You're listening to TMA Extra Dose with Nick Hamilton here on Slam Radio, Sirius XM 145. Stay tuned. Yo, what's up? Baby, let's go. This is Tua Tungle by Lowen. Yo, Sway Calloway. This is Spice Adams. This is Michael, the playmaker every. What's up? This is Grok, and you're listening to Slam, Slam Radio. Radio. Serious XM. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to the program. TMA Extra Dose with Nick Hamilton here on Slam Radio, Serious XM 145. And on this broadcast, I have a very special guest. She is the VP of Community Affairs. She is one of the longest tenure Rams female executives with 15 plus seasons. Uh, she started with the Rams back in 2002 as an intern. Uh, she has a variety of community events across Los Angeles, and she's definitely partnered up with a lot of community members of Los Angeles. So we're going to get into her journey as well as what's going on currently with the Rams as they look to better the communities around Los Angeles and Southern California. Please help me welcome the one and only Molly Higgins. Molly, how are you? Uh, thank you for coming on TMA Extra Dose with Nick Hamilton. I uh, just want to talk a little bit about what got you involved uh, with the community, community events, community affairs, and what led this passion? I grew up in Iowa, actually. Um, grew up on a farm. So uh, with brothers and, and cousins who were boys. So I could hold my own on the basketball court, on the football field, definitely on the baseball diamond. Um, just played sports from sunup to sundown. Uh, and really, I think my love for and compassion for humanity came from my grandmother. Um, and she was just someone who, you know, like lived by the golden rule. And, you know, she, she would visit people that were in nursing homes that didn't have anyone to visit, um, to visit them. And, and she would spend time with them. And she was just, uh, she was kind of, I always say like a mother Teresa on a very local level. Um, everyone knew her as, as the lady with the biggest heart in, in, in town. So I think, you know, like I just started loving people, um, just witnessing her and how, you know, she never looked down on anyone. Everyone was equal in her eyes. And, you know, to this day, I, I think about her often and um, hope that I'm making her proud. Absolutely. Now, I did read somewhere that your dream job you thought at one point was going to be the PR person for the Denver Broncos. What happened with that? What changed your direction as far as PR versus community affairs? How did that go about? Yeah, so right out of college, I took a job doing um, PR for a global computer software company. And um, during my time there, we hired an agency, a PR agency, and the president of that agency tried to hire me. And he pulled me aside. He said, hey, Molly, you know, just really enjoyed getting to know you through this process. Would you come work for me? Would you consider coming to work for me? I said, ah, you know, I'm, I'm really flattered, but I'm a very loyal individual. I couldn't do that to Jim. Mm -hmm. And Jim was my boss at the time. And he said, oh, come on. I mean, give me a break. You want to write, like, press releases on had cam software the rest of your life you're too talented and i said well when you put it that way um he goes so you know what's your dream job work with me here i said you know i mean if i had to say my dream job it'd be doing um public relations for the denver broncos i'm just a huge sports fan and and he goes well you know i don't know anybody at the broncos but I do have a former colleague who is now um, the head of community affairs and corporate communications for the St. Louis Rams. You should just call her up. So I did, and we met for coffee. Um, and at that point, she said, you know, I want to hire you. And I said, wow, you know, that was easy. This is great. And she said, unfortunately, I don't have any full-time job. So what I could offer you is a full-time internship. And I was like, wow, you know, going from like, pretty good pay out of college to an intern who was going to make $500 a month. Um, and I said, you know, let me give it some thought. And I, you know, I thought about it over the weekend and, and 
said to myself, you know, I'm young enough in my career that if this is a terrible decision, um, I can kind of course correct and, and get myself right on the back on the right path. But at the same time, I want to bet on myself and, you know, I just need, I just need a little crack in the door. Um, and then I'm going to bet on myself and I think I can, you know, work this into a full-time job. So I did. Um, and I originally started in corporate communications, corporate communications and community affairs were one in the same department. Um, and quickly learned that, you know, my passion was more community affairs and corporate communications. So I was doing both in St. Louis. And then when we made the move to Los Angeles, you know, Kevin Dimoff and I sat down and talked and I said, you know, this community is so big and the needs are so many, like, I really want to focus my energies on community affairs. Um, and we're able to bring in a really talented person from the NFL and Joanna Hunter to do corporate communications. And she's much better at corporate communications than me. Um, so we make a good team. She handles that. I do the community affairs and um, it's been great. When you were in St. Louis uh, for the time that you, you were there for a great deal of time. And then all of a sudden you get the, the news that the Rams are coming back home, as we say, back to Los Angeles. Um, what was that transition like for you to go from St. Louis and build up those relationships and be able to really connect with the people in St. Louis? And now you have to go thousands of miles away to Los Angeles to a larger market and a new set of people. How did you, how were you able to make the transition? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was tough at first. I think, I think more than anything, it was saying goodbye to all those nonprofits and educational leaders and people that we had developed such strong relationships with in St. Louis. But to me, like, you know, I was always a huge fan of Southern California. Um, and so the opportunity to come to Los Angeles and really build something from the ground up and build something special and unique to this community was so invigorating to me. Um, and I think, you know, as an outsider coming from St. Louis to Los Angeles, you know, I was a little like, I'm not sure if I'm all Beverly Hills and Hollywood. And so I came in with a little bit of maybe trepidation, but as soon as I got out in the community and, you know, I think the beauty of Los Angeles is not Beverly Hills or Hollywood. It's, it's, it's the neighborhoods, it's the people, um, it's the Watts, it's the Inglewoods, it's, you know, Boyle Heights and, and Venice and, you know, it's all those unique little parts of LA um, that are so distinct and, and so like uniquely Los Angeles. Um, I just, I couldn't love it anymore. I mean, I, I don't think I could possibly ever leave Los Angeles. It's just, uh, it's part of my heart and soul now, for sure. Yeah, I've always said, I mean, being born and raised here, I think I really have a tremendous amount of respect for people to come south of the 10 freeway or east or west of the 110, because I feel like this is really the heart of Los Angeles when you get you tap into the, the vibe of the communities. We come to Los Angeles and people like celebrate that diversity as they should. Um, and so right away, it was like, doesn't necessarily need to be a focus of ours because it's happening already in the community. Um, let's celebrate that. Let's be intentional about seeking out a diverse, you know, staff um, and building. Now we've built a very diverse staff and now it's like, how do we challenge ourselves to take that next step and make sure we're being an inclusive staff? Um, so that's, I mean, that's certainly been a, a priority of ours. Um, and I think we've done a really good job of like reaching out into the community and, and bringing community members in to be part of the Los Angeles Rams. No, I think the Rams have done an outstanding job. I think just from as a media member, but then also just as a person that lives in the community, I've been able to go to a lot of your community events from the elementary school in Boyle Heights, uh, watching what you've done in the, in the you know, Inglewood and LAUSD uh, communities and Watts, I think it's been a phenomenal job. What do you feel like, uh, how did, at what point did you feel like you were connecting with the community once you arrived in LA? Did, were there some people that are going up to you and singing your praises? Did you see the, the effects of what the, what you, the work has been done in the community with the children or what, what was the, the turning point for you that said, okay, we're finally getting the, the, the plan in motion and how my vision, I want to see uh, what the Rams organization does in Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, I, I think back to um, the day that I flew out uh, for our press conference at the forum to announce that we were returning home. You probably remember that. Oh, yeah. Um, 
And I was standing, I, I got out of the Uber and I'm standing at the, the entrance to walk in and I'm checking in, giving them my name and uh, just talking to some community members. I'm like, and I hear like some kids laughing and, you know, carrying on in the background. I'm kind of looking around and I'm just not familiar at that point with Inglewood. So I said, um, excuse me, ma'am, are you from Inglewood? And she said, I am. And I said, well, you know, I'm with the Rams and I'm going to be part of your new community. I, is there, a, is there an elementary school around here? And she started laughing and she's like, yeah. And she points across the street to Kelso Elementary. So I go into the press conference, you know, do that whole deal. Um, and on my way out, I, I told the Uber to stop at a Kelso Elementary. So I walk in, I introduce myself, asked to speak to the principal. Dr. Coffee was its name, um, came out. And I said, he's like, may I help you? And I said, yeah, uh, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Molly Higgins with the Los Angeles Rams. We just held a press conference across the street and uh, heard the kids out on the playground. So wanted to swing in and just uh, introduce myself and let you know that we'll be back. Um, we, we plan to really like develop deep roots in this community. And he kind of like, he's like, wow, okay. And, you know, I think he probably was somewhat skeptical. And um, about a month later when we, when we started really getting out here, I reached out to him again and, and we hosted a district-wide Play 60 event at Coleman Field. Um, and the mayor came out, you know, and, and everyone started coming out and they're like, wow, you're, you're for real. Like what you said, like you're already doing, We're, you're only a couple weeks in. Um, so I think like that, just being authentic and, and, and being a woman of my word um, has, you know, I guess earned me some respect and I think like in Watts, I spent a lot of time in Watts and uh, <laughs> when people started calling me the mayor of Watts, I was like, yeah, <laughs> right. You know, like I got some street cred now. So right. <laughs> um, yeah, I think when, when community members start recognizing you and, and thanking you and stuff, I think that's certainly a pride point for me because it's not like I'm just coming in for, for those photo op opportunities. I'm, I'm at your local coffee shop. I'm having lunch at your sandwich shop, you know, and um, I'm walking the street. So I think that's that's certainly probably the moment where I felt like, you know, I'm starting to get there for sure. You know what I've heard about you? I almost thought it was a folklore because I, I have never seen you, but I used to hear about you. I would hear about what the, 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 the opportunities that you were presenting for the communities, the events that you all were planning to, to engage and um, ingratiate yourself into the commu various communities. Um, but your team has been absolutely spectacular. And one person in particular I wanted to get your thoughts on was Jonathan Franklin. He's a young man who obviously played his, his high school ball at Dorsey High, the pride of L.A., played at UCLA, uh, did some NFL, played in the NFL for a particular moment in time, and then, you know, was able to be a part of the community staff. What does it mean to have a, a guy like Jonathan Franklin on the team uh, to enhance the vision for you as well as the Rams. I mean, Jonathan Franklin, right before I jumped on here, I, you know, was texting with him and talked to him this morning. One of my most favorite human beings um, that is walking the planet, just uh, an amazing, amazing person and, and such a tremendous role model for, for young people, um, especially in South Los Angeles. And I think you know, to tell you a quick story about Jonathan and how we met, Kevin Dimoff, who who I mentioned previously, our, our COO, um, he came to me back in 2016. He said, Mom, have you ever heard the name Jonathan Franklin? And I was like, running back, right? And he's like, yeah. And uh, I'm like, you UCLA? He's like, yeah. And uh, I'm like, didn't we bring him in for a visit when we were the St. Louis Rams? He's like, yeah, my mom will never let me forget it because we ended up taking, <laughs> uh, gosh, who was it? A, a running back, I think from Van Vanderbilt maybe, instead of Jonathan. And Kevin said his mom wouldn't talk to him for weeks because she was so upset. She's a huge <laughs> UCLA fan and was a huge fan of Jonathan Franklin. So anyway, Kevin said, you know, he, he went, he was drafted by the Packers. He had an injury, he had to retire. I think he's in at Notre Dame now. You should maybe reach out to him because I think you guys have really hit it off and um, just see if he'd be interested in returning home. So I, I reached out to him, had a conversation. 
literally like on a Thursday night, I had the conversation. I said, um, I'd like to bring you out. Um, can you be in Los Angeles on Monday morning? And he was kind of like, uh, yeah, I guess. So at that point, he was at Nordane. We flew him out to Los Angeles, took him down to training camp at UCI, sat down with him in the lunchroom um, as practice was going on, took him to practice. I, I told him to stand right there on the sidelines. I'm like, don't go anywhere. <laughs> uh, I found Kevin. I said, we need this guy. Like, we need Jonathan Franklin. I, I can't let him get on a plane without a job offer. And he's like, you love him? I'm like, or he said, you like him? I said, I love him. And what an amazing story. I mean, Jonathan, yes. you know, first graduating from Dorsey, um, so a product of Los Angeles Unified School District, goes to UCLA, first, you know, generation college student, gets, gets his degree, goes, you know, I mean, it just, everything about him is so inspirational and he's so willing to share that story and inspire young people. Um, he's just a gift. I mean, he's a gift to the Rams. He's a gift to the community. I tell him all the time. He's always like, Oh, you know, you're making me blush. Stop it, Molly. But, uh, one of the, one of the greatest moments, one of my proudest achievements is this, this week, actually, we were able to promote him to a director. So he is now a director. Of social justice and football development for the Los Angeles Rams. So, um, just I mean, I could talk about Jonathan literally all day. Um, just I light up when I talk about him because he's he's that special to me. And and I always call him. I always say like, you know, I'm a proud mama bear when I talk <laughs> about Jonathan. And he just got married, and you know, it's just. Um, because it was COVID, we were watching on the computer screen and tears rolling down my cheeks and just uh, just a really proud, proud mama bear when it comes to Jonathan Franklin. Absolutely. He's a great guy. I've had opportunity to interview him and talk with him through his college days and seeing him develop and flourish in, in his role. I mean, it's been absolutely astonishing. And so I couldn't be happier. And congratulations to Jonathan Franklin uh, on the on the promotion. Well deserved, well earned, I'm sure. Um, and that's a testament to you again. Uh, just with your leadership and you, you have a great rapport with the players. I mean, no matter who the players may be, we all know players come and go with teams and contracts and things like that. But you always had a really great rapport uh, with players when they were in St. Louis or here in Los Angeles. Um, you, we had Ty Gurley at one point in time with his, you know, his camp and making sure that, that was available to kids and uh, the great work that Jared Goff has done uh, with the Inglewood Unified School District and LAUSD. Uh, giving backpacks to kids, um, you know, doing those th that work. Um, when you see those types of events and you deal with those players, uh, do the players normally come to you? Do you approach them? How does that relationship work to be able to benefit the community? Yeah, it kind of depends. Like we we try to take a very strategic approach with our with our players. So we really want to sit down and talk to them about their areas of interest and their passion points. And then we look to align them with a with a charity or a school that makes sense. So with Todd, you mentioned, um, you know, he had a passion for food banks. So we went to Todd and said, you know, we're bringing the taste of the Rams to Los Angeles. So why don't you become the chair of this event? You help recruit your teammates, you know, we'll raise money to buy millions of meals for Angelinos in need. And, and he was like, you know, sign me up. Um, with Jared Goff, as you mentioned, like, you know, after the George Floyd killing, he was one of the first players to reach out and text me and say, Molly, I want to be part of the solution. You know, let me know how I can help. And so we talked and said, you know, it's it's more than just police brutality. Certainly that's that's a terrible social injustice. But we're talking about other issues like education inequities and and lack of opportunity and, you know, we could go on and on. And, and as we talked, he, he really gravitated towards, let's find a way to address education equities. And I think, you know, if you were to ask Jared, he will say, you know, he is someone who had the privilege of going to a great school. And that really set him up for his success and, and his future. And so he recognizes, you know, not all kids have that opportunity. So let's really dig in and see like where we can be of assistance. And, you know, with, with Jared, I said, I think it would be great if we did a couple Zoom calls with, with the state administrator. So the acting superintendent and the chief academic officer, 
with Dr. Lucas and really ask them how you can best help. Um, let's not assume we have all the answers. Let's not assume that, you know, backpacks are the, you know, the way to go about it. Let's, let's ask them. And so we did, like Jared took the time to have those conversations via Zoom after practice with, with the school leadership. And we were starting to develop, you know, a more holistic plan. I mean, you, you mentioned the backpacks and the books, which, you know, is a great first step, but with Jared, I know he's, you know, he's committed to the long term for Englewood Unified and he's working on some additional plans um, right now. So excited to see what comes next and just excited to see him continue to grow like as a leader, both on and off the field. Oh, absolutely. I, I think a lot of players that I've noticed, whoever they may be, have always wanted to be engaging and be a part. And I'm sure that makes your job a little easier uh, where you don't have to feel like players are forcing themselves to, to do community work. I think, um, you know, that's always been a great, a great deal for Mr. Cronkey on down their commitment uh, to making this, this, this city a better place. All right. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk to Molly about her connection with a music artist, as well as a very uh, distinguished community event leader uh, and my man, Watt sticks. Also we'll get into a Rams executive that has some very interesting comments regarding Molly and her work. And also we'll touch on a little deeper what brings it home for Molly when it comes to standing up against social injustice, racism, and oppression. If you have a heart, you have a soul, this is definitely going to touch it. You don't want to miss her story. So make sure you stay tuned. You're listening to TMA Extra Dose with Nick Hamilton here on Slam Radio, Sirius Channel 145. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, welcome back to TMA Extra Dose with Nick Hamilton here on Slam Radio, Sirius XM 145. Make sure you follow me on all things social media at Nick Hamilton LA. Now, Molly, I have to ask you this. I've heard the story. This is a, a friend of mine, a buddy of mine, Sticks from Watts. You were able to connect with him. Now, he told me the story of how you guys connected. So I want to hear from your version of the story of how you guys got together and, and, and made this 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 dream and this vision a reality. Man, I didn't know you were friends with Sticks. Oh, yeah, that's my boy. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So that makes you and I. Like, you're my boy now. Oh, hey, girl. I'll accept that any day of the week. <laughs> um, I, And I think I've heard Sticks' story, and I'm like, Bro, that's not the real story. Um, so it was it was last year and he reached out to me on Twitter, sent me a direct message. And he just said, hey, you know, I've heard your name quite a bit in my community. Just wanted to say thanks for what you're doing, specifically with the Watts Rams youth football team. Let me know if there's ever, you know, anything that we can collaborate on sort of thing. So literally at that time, we were working with a creative agency um, producing a short film on the Watts Rams. And this creative agency said, you know, really want to find a local rapper to kind of like narrate the film. And they had two rappers, one of which was Styx. And they said, you know, they'd both be great. And I looked at it, I said, whoa, Styx? Like, this, this, this cat just reached out to me on Twitter. Um, and they're like, you're kidding me. And I, I said, no, I'm like, I'm happy to reach out to him and just kind of like share the vision and the opportunity, but I kind of want to meet with him first and make sure that like, he's a legit dude. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I responded to his direct message on Twitter and I said, you know, thanks for reaching out. Here's my cell phone. I have like an immediate opportunity. Um, that has some potential, I think, but would love to sit down and talk with you. So he called me right away. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm at my daughter's uh, doctor's appointment right now, but, um, you know, I can meet with you later. I said, well, I'm on my way to Watts right now, and I'm actually going to the police station uh, <laughs> for a meeting. And he's like, you go where? I said, the police station. So if you want to come, come on up and meet with me, I mean, it was the funniest thing. So he, he came up and we sat down. I remember like sitting in the in the conference room and 
we just started talking about the community and the community needs and like what needs to be done and what is being done. And we just, we, we just jived right away. And like, um, probably an hour later I said, Oh yeah. I mean, this is, so let me talk about, you know, why we brought you up here. So we told him about the film and we said we were looking for somebody to kind of narrate. Um, and he said, yes, sign me up. I'm happy to do it. And, you know, with sticks, it, it, you know, it was never a, okay, well you talk to my people and like, we'll figure something out sort of thing. Like it's going to cost us. It's never about money. He's like, I believe in what you're doing. I'm happy to support like anything for my community. Um, I'm in, I'm all in. So we went to a studio in Englewood. He watched the film. He said, okay, watch the film again. Okay. One more time. Watch the film again. He said, okay. Um, all right, just give me a couple minutes. So we all step out and come back in. He's writing the script. He records it. It's just like pure poetry. And I mean, it was wild, like his creative genius and how quick he did it and like how heartfelt it was and how authentic. I mean, you know, it's, it's like everyone was just like mouth wide open going, I can't believe that happened and, and that quickly. Um, so that was back in November of last year. And then we started just kind of like developing a relationship. He would come out to support. We would support some of his Think Watts initiatives. Um, and then fast forward to probably back in August, um, Jacques McClendon, who's our director of player engagement and development, he reached out to me on a Saturday afternoon and said, Hey, Malls, just want to let you know the, the player leadership team just got together to choose kind of their social justice phrase that they're going to wear on the back of their helmets for the home opener. I said, okay, great. And he goes, they chose it takes all of us. And I said, wow, okay. I mean, that's powerful. And I said, so tell me, you know, what was their thinking? And he said, well, you know, their thinking is that it takes, it's going to take all of us for change. Like we're all going to have to come together. This isn't a black issue. This isn't a brown issue. This is a humanity issue. Um, and I said, Jacques, you know, I got an idea. So I reach out to Sticks and I'm like, Sticks, you know, there so many people are putting out organizational statements, right? About social justice. And um, and we did that, but we wanted to be more than just an organizational statement. So I reached out to him and I, I told him about the players and them selecting it takes all of us. And I said, you know, I'd love to work with you to like create a spoken word PSA. So you write the you write the spoken word and then we'll have our player leadership group voice it and we'll tape it and it'll run. We'll drop it right before Sunday night football when we open against the Cowboys. And he's like, dope, I'm on it. I'm in, you know? So he, he put it together in a couple hours, sent it to me. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was like so heartfelt. Um, we had talked about, you know, making sure that some of our, it was grounded in the Rams community outreach effort. So it was authentic. And then I also told him like, you know, six, I don't want you to sugarcoat this. Like I want people to feel the pain, the anger, the frustration, the hurt that the black community is feeling. And I want them also to feel like the hope and the promise if we all come together. So I want that kind of to be the story arc. And he's like, totally get it. Understand, you know, I'll get you something. He got me something. It was like, it's unbelievable. I go to our production team to share this um, with them and say, you know, I want, I want the players to do this. We'll, we'll recruit, the, we'll talk to the players, they'll all sign up. Um, just want you to produce this PSA. So Sam Darvis Duffy, who's one of our lead producers said, hey, Malls, like, let's have sticks like wrap this. And yeah. I said, oh, I think it's like written as spoken word, but like, let's get them on the phone. So we call them and, and I'm like, Sam, do you want to ask him? And he's like, yeah, man. So six, like I read your, I read this. It's powerful. Like, could you wrap it? And he's like, well, like Maul said, this is like more written for spoken word, but like, if you want to rap, I can write a rap and write a song. So, um, and then we start kind of talking about the creative vision of that. Like we would tape it at different places. We'd tape it in Inglewood and we'd tape in Watts and we'd tape, you know, 
And so from there, like, again, his creative genius just took over. We got out of his way and I just said, do your thing. Like, I, I trust you. I know, I know uh, your talent. So he put together that song that we released called It Takes All of Us. And it was just, it was unbelievable. I mean, the, the response that we got from that. And I think the beauty of it is like, there are two things in this world that can really like break through all the clutter. I think it's sports and it's music. And those two things really like bring people together and unite. And oftentimes people from very different worlds. So, you know, I think that was the power of the Rams and sticks coming together and, and professional football and, and music. And, I'm, I'm so proud of the piece and it was just, uh, I mean, couldn't, couldn't ask for a better, like a uh, co-pilot and creator and sticks. Like we've just, we've developed a really close relationship. So. Yeah. He's a good dude, a uh, tremendously talented, but definitely has a heart for his community, heart for the city and, and just a really down to earth guy. I mean, I, I, I'm very sure. proud to, you know, call him a friend. Um, and that's, that's big of your organization as well. Did you really step out the way and said, okay, you guide this, you, you know, you, you trust him enough to guide it and say the things that need to be said that represent him and the organization as well. So I thought that was really big. I don't think that gets enough props uh, and credit as far as, you know, you and, and the organization being able to allow him to do that. Um, are there any plans to work with any other uh, artists or, or I know you guys had J-Rock from TDE uh, to, to do a halftime uh, or a pregame show, I should say. Uh, for the Rams uh, for the first game against the Cowboys at that time. Are there any other plans to work with any other artists from the community uh, like TDE or, or, you know, Sticks or anybody else like that? Yeah, I mean, we actually have a a person that handles our kind of influencer um, marketing. And so we worked with her. Her name's Masum Ali to bring in like D Smoke to talk to our players about the importance of voting. So I think in Los Angeles, like that's another... uh, great benefit of being in LA. You have so much talent um, from so many different industries. So we're always looking at ways to kind of develop those relationships in authentic ways and, and partner on different things. So like an Issa Rae, for example, you know, we've had some conversation with her about doing some things around voting. Um, oh yeah. You know, there are always opportunities. So yeah, Nick, if you, if you have connections, we'll, uh, We'll certainly listen, but I want them all to be like sticks, just down to earth, just amazing people. You get so much praise. I mean, we hear people like Jared Goff, a lot of the other players saying how, you know, wonderful it is to work with you, how, you know, you're nonstop, you're a hard worker, you're dedicated to the craft. You talked about Kevin Demoff, you know, working with him. But there's a there's somebody else that I want to read you a quote of what they said about you uh, that works within the organization. Uh, and this person said and they were smiling when they said this. So let me keep that in perspective. But they said, quote, I keep noticing what Molly did. Molly Higgins is one of the more, more impactful teammates I've ever had. Seeing her on a 24-7, 365 basis, seeing her when it wasn't cool to do this, really digging into what she's trying to do her part with the Rams to make an impact in communities. When you work beside her, she'll make you feel small quickly because of all the work she does. She does has done and will continue to do it's fueled by all that's going on it's a passion and a drive to use football to enhance society end quote and that came from general manager les need when you hear things like that what does that mean to you man it means the world like when when wow i mean i have so much respect for les just as a professional but more importantly as a human being and that's man you're getting me teary-eyed um (laughs) And he and he's been rolling with me for a minute, like back in uh, St. Louis. I mean, I remember bringing him in. I think it was probably 2012, and um, sitting down and having a conversation about community outreach. And I knew right then, like I had a tremendous ally and, and teammate. And he's just been he's been incredible. Um, he comes up with ideas on his own. Like he'll call, and you know, right after George Floyd again, like he was he was one of those first calls. Just it was a two hour conversation about what can we do? What, what can we do more of? Like, let's have greater urgency, you know, like let's continue to do everything that we have been doing because social justice has really been at the heart of our community efforts. But, you know, he was saying like me personally, what can I do? And, and, and 
we as a personnel department, what can we do? And then, you know, the great thing about Les is like, he'll talk about things, but he moves quickly into action. Um, and when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do something. So, you know, with his uh, minority like fellowship program and um, what he's done in terms of investing in their future and just, yeah, he walks, he walks the walk and, or how, how's that go? Yeah. Walks the walk, talks, doesn't walk the walk, he talks, whatever, you know what I mean? Oh, no, I got you. <laughs> but he is, um, he, he's a really like just unique and special human being. And for him to say that, uh, that means, that means the world to me for sure. Thank you for sharing that. Talked about George Floyd, you know about Armand Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and countless others that unfortunately continue to be, to die at the hands of, of, uh, the police. Uh, I remember the Rams that released a statement early on talking about how they were dedicated to ending systemic and institutionalized racism and oppression, uh, police brutality and things of that nature. Um, why was it important for you specifically to make an impact and a focus uh, on focusing on social injustice and, uh, you know, racial uh, inequality? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, professionally, it's always been a priority of mine. But back in St. Louis, we had, um, you know, Michael Brown's killing and the Ferguson right. situation. And I had a young man who came into my life at that time um, and ended up being my foster son. And he's African-American, comes from where Michael Brown grew up, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, at that point, it became very personal to me. <clears throat> it's kind of emotional. But now, you know, I see, sorry. No, take your time, please, by all means. I see how we as a society failed him. Um, and he's 21 now. And, uh, you know, like I now, know what it feels like when as an african-american man he's out you know just going to the grocery store and mm -hmm. going to the movie and i you know i fear for his life um and he's a great kid i mean he's so awesome and he's so smart but you know we as a society didn't do a good job with public education um and you know, he had a dad who was incarcerated. Um, he had a mom who fought poverty and, you know, like he, he dealt with food insecurity. I mean, he was hungry. He was homeless at the time um, before he came into our life. So it went from like a professional passion and priority to very personal to me very quickly. And that was back in, 2015. Um, so, you know, now to be with him from like age 15 to 21 and just to see him kind of grow up and like the opportunities that we were able to expose him to, um, you know, that he didn't have, you know, I always say like, to me, a priority is to go into the community and teach kids to dream beyond their current reality. And when I say that, I say that with Kevon in mind. Um, I mean, I remember when my wife and I brought him into our home mm -hmm. and, and he said, why are you doing this? Why are, why are two white girls like caring about me? Right. And I'm like, what do you mean? And that was like how he was raised and how he grew up, which is kind of, he didn't think he was worthy of love. And I said to him, I remember saying, Kevon, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, what you mean? And I'm like, well, it's a pretty straightforward question. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, what do you want to be? Like, what, what do you want your occupation to be? And he looked at me, he's like, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked me that question. Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe a Marine. I'm like, okay, you know, that's an honorable thing to do. Like, why? And he didn't really have a good answer. Um, 
And I said, well, what else? And he said, I don't know, maybe like a barber. And I said, okay, you know, like if that's what you want, that's what I want for you. That's what Missy wants for you. But we also want to expose you to different opportunities um, because you're such a brilliant like kid. He's so charismatic. He walks in a room, he lights that room up. I mean, he's just, he's, he's funny, he's witty. I mean, he's so smart. Um, and had he had a proper education, skies would have been the limit for him. They still are. I mean, but you know, he's, he has a tougher go than, than, you know, my nephews right. who were white and had the privilege of a great education. And that infuriates me. I mean, it, it, it pisses me off. It makes me mad. And I think that has just intensified my passion for my job and for doing what's right and for fighting social injustice. And, you know, it's, like I said, it's, I've been in this work since 2002. It's, it's always been a passion of mine, but when it became personal with Kevon and I saw it through the, through the eyes of a parent and through the eyes of a, a child, um, I knew that like, I needed to do more and, you know, the Rams needed to do more. So, um, sorry for getting emotional there, but it's, uh, it's real, it's real for me. I know you're a busy person. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join me here on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all of the great and hard work that you and your team does on a daily basis. I'm, you may not get all the recognition or the thank yous that you deserve, but I'm here to say thank you uh, just as a member of the community, uh, not just a media member. Because again, uh, with the backpack situation, my son was a recipient because he went to his school. So I just want to say thank you for coordinating that and uh, thank you for all of the work that you've done and continue to do. And if there's anything, and I do mean this when I say this, if there's anything that I can do or uh, the network can do, uh, please let us know. And uh, we're there. No, no questions asked. Well, thanks, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Um, I can't believe we haven't crossed paths yet, but I look forward I to seeing you at an event soon or in the community. Um, but the thanks really goes to Mr. Cronkie. You mentioned it. Like he, he really enables us to do our jobs. He gives us the resources and the autonomy and really kind of trusts us to do what he hired us to do. And, and Kevin Dimoff and Les Snead and Coach McVay. And I feel like I have the best department and team uh, in the NFL and probably professional sports. And we have an amazing organization. Like all of our staff members are committed to the community and committed to the fight for social justice. So I'm proud to be a small part of it, but um, you know, it's, it's my passion, it's my purpose in life. So I appreciate the time, um, it's fun talking. All right, and that will do it for this week's edition of TMA Extra Dose with Nick Hamilton here on Sirius XM, Slam Radio 145. I'd like to thank my guest, Michael Duarte from NBC LA and NBC4 in Los Angeles, as well as Molly Higgins, who is the VP of Community Affairs for the Los Angeles Rams. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and your time. And thank you all for listening here on Sirius XM Slam Radio 145 for TMA with Nick Hamilton. Also, make sure you follow me on all things social media at Nick Hamilton LA. Until next week, let's get it. Go Dodgers. Enjoy your week. Be safe. Be prosperous. Stay sharp. I'm out. The views and opinions expressed on TMA with Nick Hamilton Extra Dose are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.